You're listening to The Higher Ed Marketer, the podcast for marketing professionals in higher education. Join us every week as we talk to the industry's greatest minds in student recruitment, donor relations, marketing trends, new technologies, and much more. If you're looking for conversations centered around where marketing and higher ed is going, this podcast is for you. Let's get into the show. Welcome to the Higher Ed Marketer Podcast. My name is Troy Singer, and I'm here with my co-host and friend, Bart Kaler. Sometimes, organically, we create great conversations that I have a feeling it's a hit. If it was a record, it would be a bullet going to number one. And I think today's conversation with Tony Frega, the president and CEO of Direct Development, is one of those conversations. Bart, you and Tony had two main topics that you covered. The first is the changing landscape in higher ed marketing and going from where it was and what people should be looking out for. But then also the topic of sustainability within higher ed marketing. I think both were very beneficial to our, or will be beneficial to our listeners and for them to get out their tablets and take a lot of notes with this episode. Yeah, I agree with you. I think it was a really good good episode. Tony brought his A game today. It was such a refreshing conversation to have with him. I felt like a little, you know, a little bit old man grandpa talking about, you know, walking up uphill both ways to school. I mean, we've both been in the higher ed marketing industry for several years, several decades actually, and being able to talk about where we've seen it go, where it's going, where you know what what's happened. And then also just being able to talk about this idea of sustainability. I mean, it's not the eco-sustainability you might think of. It's more of just how sustainable is what your efforts are to kind of continue doing the success that you're doing. And I really liked that uh, Tony kind of uh, coined that term. And we had a really good conversation about it. And so I'm looking forward to sharing that with everyone. I think it's a great, not only great conversation about it, but also some really practical things that he and I both kind of talked about near the very end. And I'll also add that not only did you talk about the past, you really honed in on what you should be doing and where you should be looking to go in the future. And here is that conversation with Tony Frega. Tony, Bart and I believe that both most of our guests and our listeners are lifelong learners. And for that reason, we always ask our guests to share something that they've learned recently that could be interesting or benefit others. And I'm eager to find out what you have to share. Yeah, I I recently just came back from HubSpot's inbound conference, which I hadn't been to in a long time since the pandemic. And one of the things I learned, I know AI is really hot right now and everyone's talking about it. You guys recently had a great episode on it, by the way, it was very good. But one of the things I learned is there is a shift going on with AI that is essentially different than just adding AI into what you're doing, that all of the tools that we use, generative AI will be baked into them in ways that are just going to become normal like driving. And so rather than thinking about AI, I had been thinking about AI as another tool. Like, here's another thing. I got to learn this tool in order to get good. Like, I remember when we weren't doing paid advertising, 
and we were just doing like organic content and organic social media posting. And then we were like, we need to figure out how we do paid social media. I remember that was new. And it was like another tool and you got to get into it and you figure it out and then you use it. AI is not like that. This is not another tool. I think the big aha moment for me was that AI is going to change the way in which we just spend our time and not so much at, I don't need a, it takes away the fear of it being something I've got to master. It's really not something we're going to master. It's just a, it's going to change the way we move our fingers, move our mouths, and it will be baked into all the tech that we use. Microsoft will bake it into everything. Google's going to bake it into everything. Your CRM will have AI stuff in it. And that will just be normal. And I think that for me, maybe that's not an obvious thing, but that for me was like a really big, like, I don't need our company to become experts in another tool here. We, this is more about changing our approach to how we talk to each other and just how we communicate and how we partner with schools. That was wonderful, Tony. And at the risk of Bart jumping in and taking this conversation down the (laughs) AI route, I'm going to quickly thank you for being a guest. And for those of you who don't know, Tony Fraga is the president and CEO of Direct Development. And if you would briefly give us an introduction to your agency and the work that you do. Yeah, many of you may know us more through the agency as DD Agency, which is really our whole higher ed division. But direct development, um, we've been around for a long time. My dad actually started this company back in the 80s. We got into partnering with schools in the late 90s by accident. And over the years, we evolved. We used to do a lot of direct marketing back in the day. That's where the name direct development came from. And we evolved and completely shift as we became a full service agency around 2013, 2014 into content and inbound marketing. And so we work with schools of all shapes and sizes and help them do things like SEO and build content. And that's our jam. We work a lot with grad schools, adult recruitment, some undergrad schools, and got a fun team that's split out all over the United States now since the pandemic, a team of over 30 people. And it's an honor to be able to work with them. Thank you, Tony. And because of that experience that you have, we are going to have a two-part episode. And when I say two parts, two subjects that we're going to cover. The second subject, which I think is going to be beneficial for everyone listening, is the importance of marketing sustainability within higher ed. And I know that both of you have watchouts and also solutions that you're willing to offer. But because of your experience and because of my friend Bart, I know that both of you have things that are near and dear that you can share. So I wanted to create a conversation between two seasoned veterans. And I'll start out with Tony. If you can start this out, Tony, by sharing with us some of the changes that you see in the landscape within higher ed marketing, both going from the familiar, and then we'll start to lead into what's next and what should be important to marketers within the community. Absolutely. It's really amazing to me how higher ed marketing has changed in just the last decade, but really over the last 20 years. I'm aging myself a little bit, but I would split it into those two decades. I would say 20 years ago to 10 years ago, higher ed marketing was predominantly individual tactical solutions, and you would hire specialists um, or chase after individual tactics. 
So think when Google was coming out or Facebook was launching or the iPhone launched, right? That was like, I'm talking early 2000s to just after 2010, right? So there was a lot of chasing. There was a lot of get on the next thing and do it well. And you hired an expert. It was very expertise driven. And I would say even out of the 90s into the early 2000s, with the revolution of technology and the internet, as it became more prolific, there were there really weren't, you needed experts. You didn't know how to do these things and you had to do that. And higher ed marketing tended to be, you know, five to six years behind the for-profit world and, and cutting edge marketing. And so, you, we, you know, I remember just helping schools and bringing to them the next cool thing, like making email better. I remember when personalized URLs came out, pearls <laughs> and QR codes, and that was like revolutionary. The second decade though, which is really the last 10 years, it shifted. And I would say higher end marketing is not so much expertise. Like we need to hire an expert in this to get us this thing. Like we need more, a larger inquiry pool. So we need more leads. So let's just hire someone to get us more leads. To It's really evolved to, I think schools have gotten more sophisticated in understanding. And now it's much more multifaceted. Now it's about the mix. And now it's more about partnerships that that are relationships and sets of services that need to be highly gooey, highly changeable. Like today as an agency, we're, not, we're, we're less being hired for a fixed set of deliverables. And what I tell clients a lot, I tell my team this is, we're partnering with schools for our fingers and our brains, not for a specific asset that they're buying. Even though we do make things and help schools with specific ways, there's so much changing in the landscape today. I would argue we've traded expertise for experimentation. Another way I say this is guys, drop your title, like your name, if your job title was a name tag and was like a trophy for you, throw that in the trash and instead put on a lab coat. We're experimenters and what you're hiring if you're a school and you're looking for a vendor is their nimbleness. It's their ability to quickly adapt and change and experiment on the fly. And it's just a really different field today than it was the previous decade. I agree with that, Tony. And I would even kind of challenge the idea that if you're looking for a vendor, you might not be thinking about it correctly because you really need a partner. And I think that what you're just described is a partnership of experimentation. I think part of what's happened too in the last 20 years that I've observed, and I'd like to get your feedback on this too, is that I think in a lot of ways, higher ed has kind of gotten past their hang up with utilizing business terms and tools. And I remember, you know, in the late nineties, when I was first getting into higher ed, if I slipped during a meeting and used the word customer or used the word sales or used the word that had something to do with business, boy, I would be, you know, it was like a, a pile on. It's like, oh, we're not like that. We're not it. How dare you use that kind of terminology? But I think that higher ed's finally gotten over that. And I think that's a good thing because I think that starts to get the marketing team to actually do the things that are going to be making the difference that are going to be moving the ball down the field. And I think that's part of what's also happened in the mix of all this. I mean, how do you think about that? Do you agree with that? A hundred percent. And I, we used to change the amount of time we would spend changing things that built in, had the language of customer or buyer's journey, for instance. And now there's a much larger comfort with, wait, we, we are, parents are shopping for college, for their children, 
for their sons and daughters and or a, a working professional shopping for a graduate degree. We're more comfortable with that language today. I would agree with that wholeheartedly for sure. And, and Bart, I think what's really interesting is I remember I remember years ago, you've been around this industry for a while and I have always wanted to connect with you. We just it's taken a long time for us to be able to to do this. But I know you've seen a lot of things and I actually want to shift this question around to you. I really want to know what you have seen change as it, particularly as a, a reliable and veteran service provider in the industry. You've seen a lot. You've seen the good, the bad and the ugly with many schools. I know you've partnered with them for the long run. And I've always considered your company and your, your expertise as, and I am going to use that word because I do consider you an expert. I consider you someone who's not just a one hit wonder kind of chasing a trend. You're willing to be patient enough to see whether or not things stick and are worth bringing to your clients. I would really love to, to hear like, what have you seen change as you lead a team of people and have provided a, a wide variety of services to schools? What's really the most significant thing that's changed in your mind these days versus where we were maybe 10 years ago? As I'm sure you have known that the whole idea of artificial intelligence and especially things like chat GPT are really starting to transform higher ed marketing. I really don't want anyone on this podcast to be left behind. So I really want to invite you to join the top minds in higher education at the inaugural higher ed marketer virtual AI summit. It's going to be on October 24th. And in just one day, you're going to be able to discover practical strategies to leverage AI as your marketing collaborator and walk away with a lot of new skills as you do that. During the summit, you're going to learn how to create personalized outreach at scale, streamline content creation, boost your productivity, and so much more. Join Troy and I as we learn directly from innovative leaders and many of those who have been our past guests, including Jamie Hunt, CMO at Old Dominion, Brian Piper from the University of Rochester, and Kyle Campbell, the education marketer. You're also going to be meeting several of our new friends, such as Rafi Dushinin of ERI Design, Dr. Gil Appel of the George Washington University School of Business, Dr. Jules White of Vanderbilt, and Artis Kadu from Element 451 and Austin Marshall on how to use AI for your graphic needs. Seats are limited for this can't-miss event. Visit thehigheredmarketer.com, that's thehigheredmarketer.com, and use code PODCAST for 20% off your ticket. There's also rates available for groups of tickets, so you can find out more at the site. I want you to unlock the power of AI to enhance enrollment, giving, and beyond at your institution. Join us on October 24th. Yeah, I think that's a that's a really good question, Tony, and I think there's a lot of different ways to answer it. I think that one way that I would I would consider, I mean, certainly as you mentioned earlier, the tactics have changed. I mean, there's been a lot of new things. It's more experimental. There seems to be new digital marketing opportunities coming out every day, and I think it becomes amplified and it's almost exponential now with AI. I mean, even today I was playing with a free tool that you can upload a photo and it turns it into an animated movie. And, you know, six months ago, you would have had to spend a day in Photoshop to, you know, get it into different layers and create this animation effect. I uploaded three photos from a client in five minutes and had had three videos in like a minute later and zero cost. And I'm like, Okay, this is insane. And so it's only going to amplify, but I think one of the, the big things kind of more at a structural level and more at, a, at, at a, a larger gestalt of everything is the idea that I think higher ed has matured enough to recognize that marketing needs to have a seat at the C-suite table. 
And sometimes, whether that's through a vice president of enrollment and marketing, or whether that's through a vice president and a chief marketing officer, or however that plays out. I mean, when I first got into, into higher ed marketing, it was the mid-90s. My alma mater called me and wanted to, you know, try out one of these new website things. And, you know, we got picked up by the Chronicle and U.S. News and World Report wrote an article about these schools that were starting to experiment with, you know, getting on the, super, the information superhighway with their, with, their, with their schools. And I remember that when I started doing that, all of the marketing, and even then they didn't like to call it marketing. It was either, you know, communications or it was uh, university communications is usually what it was. And it sat underneath the advancement office because, you know, that's where the alumni magazine was done. That's where things happened. The view books were done there. Everything was done there. And honestly, it was kind of like, yeah, we send out the view book and we we show up at some events and and it just happens. And so there really wasn't a marketing strategy as much as there was just some some collateral that was created in university communications. And I think that what the biggest change I've seen in the last 25, almost 30 years now is the idea that it's moved out of university communications. It's moved into more of a marketing, you know, perspective. And I think that that has been good um, because I think a lot of schools and probably the majority of the schools that are listening on this today are revenue, their, their revenue is driven out of enrollment. For most schools, and especially for the privates that we work with, a lot of it, you know, 90, 95% is going to come from enrollment. You know, you've got another 5, 10% that comes through, through, you know, advancement efforts and development. But I think that having that shift, moving it out from under advancement into either enrollment or directly onto the cabinet level is probably the thing that's changed the most, that's probably impacted most of the schools that I work with the most. Uh, there's still schools that are, you know, struggling with that tension between it still sits under advancement and, you know, and every school is different and they have to figure out what's best for them. But I do remember one, one time, probably about 10 years ago, 15 years ago, I was working with a school and their VP of enrollment really wanted to have, you know, more control on marketing. And it was just an uphill battle and it was challenging. And the straw that broke the camel's back was that homecoming actually coincided, you know, late in October. And they were really trying to push for an early, you know, early application deadline of November 1st. And we had planned all these, these email campaigns and everything that needed to go out, but it had to be controlled through the marketing department, the university communications. Well, they just couldn't get to it because they were too busy setting up the tent for homecoming. And, and the priorities in that, just in that little microcosm, I think really broke the, you know, it was the straw that broke the camel's back. They had to change and they had to realize that we cannot function and actually get the enrollment that we need with this kind of setup. And so I, I don't know if that answers all of your question, but I mean, that, that's really what I've seen a big change happen. And I mean, you're nodding. And so I'm thinking you've experienced things like that as well. Yeah, I would add that that's the convergence we're seeing today where enrollment management was a circle on the left. And marketing communications for the university was a circle on the right, and they overlapped a little, but not as much. And today, those circles overlap a lot more. And we talk a lot about the discipline of enrollment marketing, which that term is more common today than it was 10 years ago by far, where that was a new, new, new concept, I would say. Tony, thank you for that. And before we move to our sustainability conversation, would like to know if you have any quote, seasoned veteran, unquote, fun stories that you could share with us? Oh, I have too many. And let's see. Uh, I think I would keep it simple in the sense of 
the stories I have are really related to, I think the topic we want to, I really want to chat with you guys about it, it, with sustainability, because my seasoned veteran stories all come from just so too many years, frankly, of seeing, you start to see patterns and maybe call me old and crotchety in this, and maybe I'm losing my patience, but some of it, you just start to see the same patterns at schools and there's nothing new anymore. It's like, I've seen this scenario where the Marcom team really is delivering to the graduate enrollment team, undergrad content, and they just don't get what they're doing. Or I've seen this where they just want to get more leads at the top and think they need more leads, but there's a massive, massive gap between app start and app complete. And they're losing tons of people there at the, towards the bottom of the funnel, but they just want to go buy more leads, right? And you start to see these same patterns. And so I don't have a particular story to share, mostly to protect the innocent, but I would just say a lot of seeing um, this kind of stress that schools have. And I think since the pandemic, it's gotten worse is the truth. If I'm honest, higher ed, People in enrollment marketing, whether they're in Marcom departments or enrollment management teams, seem to be more stressed out. The pressure is on them higher from the leadership at institutions to do what is literally impossible for some of them, or at least seems that way. And it is really difficult. And so I think it's created this greater need today for schools to be smarter and wiser and honest about whether or not what they're doing is sustainable and some of them are, mer are like, they're going to merge. They're going to get bought out. They're going to close there. You see schools like I know a liberal arts school that just cut like 10 of its liberal arts program. It's a small private school. It is a liberal arts school. It just cut 10 of them. It's also faith based and it cut some of its faith based degrees. Like what is going on where we are cutting the very degree programs that are part of the ethos of a school? That's a real problem. And so that's, I think, what I'm seeing right now. Thank you, Tony. And before we go any farther, I think it would be helpful for us to kind of define within the context of higher ed marketing what we mean when we say sustainability. So Bart, if you can speak to it and then a follow-up from Tony. Yeah, I think that the the main thing that, that Tony and I are using when we use the word sustainable, I mean, it's a word that means a lot of different things. But in, in higher ed marketing, I think the, the context we're using it is, are you doing things that you can continue to do for a very long time? It, it's not a, you know, a flash in the pan type of thing. It's not something that it's that next, you know, you've, you're experimenting with something and all you're doing is experimenting all over and over and over again. I mean, you're just trying the next thing. I've heard people, they'll come up to me, they'll say, Oh, I, I think we need to be on TikTok. Let's go. And I'm like, well, hold on here. What are we, what are you doing on Instagram? And, and how's that working out for you? And so it's a little bit of that whack-a-mole perspective where it's like, let's just run after the next thing. And I think what Tony and I have talked about, what we talked about in the pre-interview was just this idea of how can schools start doing things and how can marketing departments drive that to really create sustainable marketing that is, is going to be good. It's going to work. It's something that is going to have a good KPI and a good return on investment. And it's something that you can go back to and tweak rather than just trying to do something from scratch every time. Yeah. I'd add to that with a story, with an example of let's let, let me define sustainability and really unsustainability. Let's define what's not sustainable first. It's a little easier to start with the, the negative. So the not sustainable is a school that is, let's say I'm going to pick on a tactic of paid digital advertising and they're advertising on Google, 
paid search and display ads. They're advertising on YouTube, part of Google as well. They're advertising on Facebook and Instagram through Meta and LinkedIn. And they're throwing in lots of ads paid on this. And they're spending a lot of money. This is a real school, I know. And they're not tracking those ads. They're only tracking those ads down to impressions and clicks and leads, which are good and important. You need to get leads from your ads. But they're not connecting those ads down to enrolled students or completed accepted students or completed apps or started apps or inquiries, like formal inquiries, or how many of those ads, ad, ad source leads ended up RSVPing to an open house or an information session. And because they're not tracking that better, they're not able to make smarter decisions. So what they're doing is unsustainable because, and here's the catch, they're not willing to stop spending that money. They're afraid. And they, be, because they don't have the information and so they're, they're pot committed to these huge contracts with an ad vendor who's spending a lot of their money. They don't know how much of their money is going to ads versus a commission. They don't know how many of their ads are actually leading to real butts and seats. So that various kinds of ad campaigns, ad offers and audiences, and even platforms can be tweaked and adjusted. And it's, they're left to just vanity metrics. So if you're doing ad campaigns, and you're only tracking that as against top funnel vanity metrics, I would say that's not sustainable. You can do it, but you won't be able to keep paying at that rate forever, like even in, in, in a year or two, like you will get outpaced and you'll be, there's a high likelihood, a large amount of your budget will be going to things that aren't actually producing bottom funnel impact. And I think at that point too, Tony, and I saw this with a with another conversation I had recently is that it it starts to create emotion because you don't have those answers. And so decisions get made emotionally rather than rationally. And so I remember I got engaged with a really small school and I, you know, they were telling me what they were doing and they were spending a huge amount of money for a school their size on paid advertising. And I, my first question was, okay, what kind of, you know, what results are you getting? Well, we really don't know. I said, you need to stop this immediately. Just turn it off tomorrow. Or if you can't turn it off tomorrow, take it down to 25% of what you're spending now until you can figure it out. And the odd thing was, is they went back to the CFO and he said, no way, we're not going to slow it down because we would lose our leads. But they didn't have any way to know that. It was just an emotional thing that even got to the point of the C CFO saying that, which Usually the CFO is the first one to say, yeah, let's take it down to 25%. But in this particular situation, they were the ones saying that were that was making emotional decisions to say, oh, we would, that would be detriment to us if we did that. We, we can't do that. And so you really, I think what you're saying, those kind of decisions, you want to keep them out of emotion. You want to keep them into facts and really being able to track that is the sustainable way to do it and avoid those emotions and sustainability. Well, first, I also want to thank Tony because unbeknownst to him, I do represent a digital agency programmatic that does exactly what you had described, works within the bottom funnel. And we should talk after this, but I do want to- We should. <laughs> I did not know that, Troy. Yes. We, I would like to keep this conversation going between the two of you because I know that you not only have identified the issues and what some of the examples are with schools that you're working with, 
But you also have some solutions on how they can overcome that. So if there, if we can continue to some other examples of what you're seeing, but then also lead to some of the ways that we can do a better job. Yeah. I think another aspect of sustainability that's worth talking about, and it, uh, I'll be really transparent here. We, you know, we sit in so much data and we find something that works as marketers and as higher ed marketers, we want to proliferate it. it. Hey, this strategy works, let's do it. And in a vacuum, it may be a very smart thing to bring. Example would be, let's just take event marketing. And let's say we really know how to market an event really well with a whole comprehensive marketing campaign with multiple tactics and, and touch points and channels. But it may not be sustainable for a school if, for instance, they don't have the capacity to do a, a, a certain number of events. And I, I run into this often. So my team, my marketing strategist might say, oh, we've come to the school. They're not doing these events. If they start doing these events and we can market them, they're going to have great success. And that may be true. But the, but the problem is the school doesn't have the people to run the events. They just, they literally can't pull it off. And just doing one, it just sucks the life out of them for whatever reasons. Those reasons don't matter. That's hard because the marketing playbook says, school, do these recruitment events and you'll have better success. School says, we don't have the capacity, the people to do that right now. That has to come back to enrollment marketing strategy and say, okay, how do we adjust knowing that we can't do that? You've taken out this really cool tactic that could work, but we can't play with that tool. That tool's been taken out of the toolbox. What are we gonna work with now? I gotta cut wood and you just took out my saw. I got to find a way to cut this wood, not using the saw, right? So it's like you get creative. And I think that is also a part of sustainability here. We're not just talking about marketing tactics that work really well. We're talking about working with your team in your situation, in your reality with your school and setting up an enrollment marketing plan that is doable, sustainable, that you can actually pull off. So often it's more about knowing where you're not going to play as opposed to trying to play in all spaces. I think it's a great point. And I think that I, I see that a lot too. And in, in some ways of, I like your idea of the creativity because, you know, I think that too many times it's like, well, we can't do what the, you know, the big school down the street's doing. And so we just throw our hands up and say, well, I guess we can't do anything. And that's to me, when you have those kind of boxes drawn around you, that's the time to really get creative and think. So there's so many guerrilla marketing tactics out there that I think that a lot of schools fail to recognize or realize. And that's one of the areas that I'm leaning into because at the end of the day, you're trying to stop the scroll and get the attention of especially Gen Z. It's the same for adult and graduate st students as well, but um, it's more difficult sometimes to get Gen Z to stop and look. There's a lot of different ways that we can, I mean, we could talk all day about, you know, finding your mission fit students and their watering holes and those types of things. But at the end of the day, I think creativity is partly that's, you know, being creative and being willing to think outside the box is going to produce sustainable marketing because it's going to give you the ability to pivot. I think another thing that's going to help you with your sustainable marketing is the idea of recognizing that every part of the funnel is a, is a new sale. So, I mean, just because somebody moved from inquiry to app start, well, I've got to sell them now to finish the application form. And that's a whole nother strategy that you have to put together. And then once they complete, you know, finish the form, now I got to get them to complete the app. And that's a whole nother 
you know, marketing strategy. And so I think sometimes it's so easy just to say, I, I check the boxes because I, I have an email reminding them to do that. No, it's a strategy that you have to build around getting them to move to the next step of the funnel. And if you look at it, most schools will have about six to seven steps in that funnel. And you've got to really be doing marketing, you know, marketing, it needs to be a part of each one of those funnels. It's very well-defined and you've got KPIs and everything else that you're following on that. That also helps create sustainability. And that's where I think that a lot of the market has matured over the last few years too, because it used to just be a little bit more of a catcher's mitt. You know, hey, we'll throw the view book out there. We'll show up at a couple of college fairs. You know, all that'll happen. And let's just sit behind the plate and wait for the ball to come across the plate. Yeah, and that just doesn't happen anymore. And so we've got to be a lot more strategic in the way that we're doing these things. And I really like a lot of what you've said today, Tony, in the way to do that. For sure. And I think that there's a really important lesson to be learned today for schools of being more like a magnet rather than a megaphone. And I think that aligns with your, your catcher's mitt idea because it's a lot, a lot less about kind of being everywhere. Like I'm not a huge fan of omni-channel, the phrase, because what it impresses upon people is this, we as an institution have to be all things to all people in, in all places. And the truth is, unless you have a massive budget, most schools can't afford to do that. And then I would argue, you actually don't even need to, even if you could afford it, you would just be wasting and communicating with a whole bunch of non-qualified, not good fit students. Let's switch that narrative. What if we started with an approach of where are the people who you're looking for and found ways to kind of laser go after those? Um, I think that's just uh, really how the whole marketing industry has changed from the whole the past kind of batch and blast method to now this you can be so much more targeted. There's so many more cool things you can do today. And if you if you if you put the right steps in order, you don't have to do these kind of broad drop a bomb from a helicopter and see how much you know, you know, impact it has and catching all that. Yeah, I, I've been using an analogy lately kind of with fishing. You know, a lot of you might be familiar with the trawling, which is a way of fishing where you put a huge net behind a, a big, big boat in the ocean and you just drag it, drag it. And you're going to catch everything. And you're going to catch the fish that you're looking for, but you're going to have a lot of stuff in there that either you don't want or is dangerous, or it's going to really slow you down from getting to what you need to do. And so, like you said, may, maybe some of the larger schools that have big budgets, that's a method that they can do because they, you know, ultimately everybody needs to know about it. It might be more of an athletics play. It might be more of a, you know, it's, there's a lot of different ways with big schools, but for most small schools, trawling is not going to work. And you really need to focus on more of a fly fishing approach where you, you understand the, the temperature of the air, you understand the season, you understand what, what types of, you know, flies are, are, you know, are out on the water right now. And you're, and you're basically understanding that fish that you want to catch well enough that you can put something on the hook and you can put it right in the right place at the right time at the right fishing hole. And you're going to be able to be successful. And I think that is probably a little bit of more of a strategy that a lot of schools need to look at as opposed to just this, I liked your bomb from the helicopter. I think that's another way to look at it too. Excellent. To the both of you, are there any other examples or things you would like to share before we close? Yeah, I'd love to share, you know, we talk a lot about this theoretically, and I, and I, and I, I can talk theory all day, but I do really want to give your audience more some practical things and, and related to like, so what does it really look like 
for schools that are executing sustainability. And one area I'll just share that I think is pretty crucial and is a really good starting point, really is related to organic search and SEO. And, and I'm, I'm sharing this because I've spent the last two and a half years knee deep in a long-term slow SEO research project. Um, and I've been doing this as part of a joint effort with uh, NAGAP, um, which is the Graduate Enrollment Management Association. And there is no benchmark report in the industry for SEO for higher ed, not for undergrad, not for, not for anything. I'm starting at the graduate level because I have a whole bunch of data on that. It was a little easier and I'm gonna expand it larger, but I learned something in researching and just watching all these school sites and the trends over the last two to three years. And here is the takeaway from hours of this research report. Schools are essentially either flat or slowly growing in the number of keywords they rank for, but the traffic they're getting from those keywords is going down. And what that means is that the average institution is ranking for more of the wrong keywords. And so they're not winning the SEO battle. And in a simple way, schools can look at this as take your name out of the search, take your acronym, take all your on-brand SEO and put that aside. I'm not saying it's not important. On-brand SEO is important, but just take your brand out of it and only look at off-brand search terms that people would type in Google, like Christian colleges in South Carolina or masters in social work programs near me program specific or school specific or topic or field specific terms, people would be typing that prospects interested in going to college, going to get a degree, might type without your name and look at where you rank not on the first page of Google. That is an, the ultimate argument for sustainability because if you work on that, you don't have to spend huge budgets on buying your audience and paid advertising because you earn it and it sticks. So though, yes, it takes work to move the needle there, but that work pays dividends in the long run. And so that I, I think SEO is a huge kind of bandwagon soapbox I'm on right now. And it's certainly not the only play, but it's one of the like the most uh, obvious places to start when you when I think about schools that care about sustainability. They're the schools I see caring about their off brand SEO. And that rank is growing up every single month for the keywords they want. Yeah. And I will add to that, Tony, and this would, I think, be a nice way to close everything out. And I'll give you a very practical, practical tip that I give a lot of my clients. And this is the one I'll give you today. Sit down with your admissions team and ask them over, give them some pizza and ask them over lunch and say, I want you to come up with the top 50 questions that people ask about our program or ask about our school or ask about whatever it is that, that people ask at the college fairs, wherever we are, what do they ask? And in, in about 20 minutes, your team can come up with those 50 questions. Then I want you to take those 50 questions and I want you to flip it and write a 750 to 1500 word essay answering each one of those questions. You're going to do a little bit of keyword research to find out what are some of the keywords for those questions. And then you're going to basically create a blog one time per week for the next year with those 50 questions. And you just took care of a year's worth of organic SEO content with very little effort. Use ChatGP to help you write it if you want to. But I mean, if you were to do that, and if you were to do that every week and do it non-branded, and you're just answering the questions that your prospective students are already asking and keep up with it, 
That is sustainability with SEO that really is going to work. And do they do that? I've had a few schools start that and they've lasted about you know, six months and then they give up. And half the time I'm like, don't give up because look, we just got number one after four months on this really long tail keyword, but they're not, but it goes back to what you said earlier. They're not seeing, you know, they're not seeing a huge growth automatically. And so you have to, you know, SEO is a long-term play. You cannot do that in three months. It's a year, two years, but if you don't start now, you're not going to reap the benefits later. It's so much more like agriculture than anything else. And it just takes time and patience, but you will reap a harvest. I mean, that's, I can speak to that just personally on my own personal brand and blog. I mean, I've been blogging for nine years and I've got, you know, weekly, weekly blog posts for at least six of those years. And so you go to my website, there's 600 blog posts on there. Well, now I'm showing up on Google, number one, number two, number three, on a lot of long tail keywords. I'm getting leads every week. Just, hey, came across this, thought we'd give you a call, wanted to find out more. That is much more effective for me right now than any kind of, you know, pay to play type of thing that I would do. Wow. That is, that is awesome. I love hearing that. I love that exercise you give those schools. And man, any of your, your, your clients who are tired and don't have the work to finish that, our team has the tenacity to bring that over the finish line. We'll, <laughs> yeah. we'll, we'll eat that lunt for breakfast any day of the week. Yeah, so. and I think any agency would. That would be something I would encourage everybody. Great exercise. Love it. I want to thank both of you for this conversation. And to end it, Tony, if you were to give advice to any of our listeners based on what we've talked about today, a piece of advice that they could implement soon after hearing it, what would that advice be? Really simple. Take everything you're investing in and doing from for enrollment marketing. And if you're not able to hold it accountable, meaning track it to bottom funnel metrics, inquiries, applicants, and enrolled students, stop doing it until you can. Like do whatever it takes to implement and make sure you can track it down to that level and then then do it. And if you can't do that, I would say stop what you're doing. Thank you, Tony. Wonderful. I am hoping and probably imagine there are people that have discovered you during this episode and would love to follow you or to connect with you. How could they best do that? They can find me on our website, agency.directdevelopment.com for DD Agency. They can find me on LinkedIn. Just look for Tony Frega, DD. Um, and that's really where I spend most of my time and am most prolific is going to be on LinkedIn and, and on our website. Thank you, Tony. This was a wonderful conversation that I think the both of you gave out some free advice. And, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> so thank you very much. It's an honor to be here. Honor to be here. Well, it's been such a great, great to have you too, Tony. And I really appreciated all that you talked about. I think you had some very practical things. And I think that, you know, a lot of times I, I find that agencies try to, you know, upsell and try to, you know, hey, let's let's do this. And I appreciate and and I appreciate the fact that we both kind of come from the fact the the thinking that it's better to give away and and give folks stuff. And I really loved your advice of just kind of even stopping until you can figure out how to do things. I mean, that's that's not something you would hear from a lot of agencies where the, it might be the opposite of, hey, you need to double down and do more, just spend more money. And that's just not the case. And I think that, and I'm sure you know, I speak for Tony, but 
if anybody has any questions and you just want to run some ideas past us, I'm I'm more than happy to talk. And I'm Tony should be more than happy to just For kind sure. of talk and just chat about some challenges and things like that. And again, I'm not I'm not turning this into a a commercial as much as we genuinely have a desire to see higher education succeed. I often tell people no one is uh, eight years old and somebody asks them, what do you want to be when you grow up? And they talk about being a higher ed marketer or higher ed administrator. That's just not typically what comes off the tongue. But you know what? We're all in this and we all love it. And so I just am really grateful, Tony, for your time today. And, and thanks for all your good advice. Pleasure to be here. Thank you so much, Bart. Thank you, Troy. It's our pleasure. We are grateful for you, Tony. We're also grateful for our wonderful producer, Rob Conlon from Westport Studio. And also would like to remind everyone that the Higher Ed Marketer podcast is sponsored by Kaler Solutions, an education marketing and branding agency, and by Ring Digital, providing direct mail for digital, accurately putting ads directly into the devices of the people on each stage of your enrollment funnel list. On behalf of Bart Kaler, I'm Troy Singer and Tony Frega. Thank you for joining our conversation. You've been listening to The Higher Ed Marketer. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. The Higher Ed Marketer is a production of Kaler Solutions and Ring Digital in partnership with Westport Studios. Views and opinions expressed by guests on The Higher Ed Marketer are their own and may not reflect the views and opinions of their organization. Know someone who's a mover and a shaker in higher ed marketing? Visit www.higheredmarketerpodcast.com and click on our Contact Us page. We'd love to have you tell us about them. Until next time. Oh, 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 oh,